stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! In Uruguay, by the beach, Punta del Este became simply the best day. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Everybody, I am your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and welcome to episode 128 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. 27. Wait, no, this is 28. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) We're keeping that. That's going straight into the blooper reel part for 2018. Well played there, King. Um, <laughs> yes, I was right first time for once. It's episode 128 because we recorded this whole thing backwards. It's it's basically the Frankenstein's monster of podcast production. And I'm here for it. Uh, so welcome back. I'm your host, Andre Harrison. And as you've already guessed, Ryan King is out here trying to destroy everything. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> Hello. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to leave like Alonzo, so... You're gonna just have to deal with this. Just, just gonna have this awkward, just, just awkward blooper reel here at the start, at the top of the show because you're a bonehead. Um, <laughs> as usual, representing Tennessee as always, Mr. Roger O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. Um, yes, um, we're here, but some of us won't be here later. But then we'll be back. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's 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 like it's really cryptic, but it's like we were all here for different parts of this double-heading recording. It's really funny. <laughs> like I'm going to mysteriously disappear in about an hour's time. It's great. Um, I, I, I can already imagine like half of our listeners just going, "Yes, it's not here." <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, fl- flights to Uruguay. Flights to Uruguay are so expensive. <laughs> Yeah, sadly they're not in my budget at the moment. Um, the bookies doesn't pay all that well. Um, <laughs> and finally, Zoe Hamilton's back, and she's finally been released from the sin bin. Hello, Zoe. Yes. And after King making me sad yesterday, I got I was ha- I managed to make myself happy again. Remember, I was getting my real dirty autograph. <laughs> she's she, she's still humble bragging about this. People, is <laughs> this this totally isn't obnoxious. <laughs> But hey, she now has all three generations of Andretti's autograph, which is yes. neat, I suppose. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Yay! Of course. It's a beautiful thing. Right, let's get some general housekeeping out of the way. Let's uh, plug the mention, the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. There should be a new video about, about um, IndyCar in general by the time this episode goes out later in the week. Watch this space. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport101, where I'm very snarky about Sky Sports F1, as usual. Um, on Twitter, I am at Motorsport underscore 101, and of course you can follow us all personally at Harris101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at We Zoe. Um, you can find all our episodes at Motorsport101.net, as well as our new and improved blog section featuring Zoe Hamilton. Hey! Yay! She's on yep. there now. Um, like, 
she's finally paying rent for us. Isn't that beautiful? Um, <laughs> and you'll be seeing more stuff from me as the races go on. I'm still going to catch up on MotoGP a little bit as well, because I've still got a written piece for that ready to go. So I'll be I'll be back with a brand new written series called Drake of the Races coming up later this week. So you can look forward to some of that. Um, and of course, if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you both early access to both this show and Bike Live. We mentioned it on episode 127, but I'm going to mention it one more time. Massive Qatar review this weekend on Bike Live, as well as our 2018 British Superbike season preview as well. It's going to be absolutely heaped. Check it out if you haven't already. If you want, if you really, 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 really like us, you can back us at 10 bucks and get access to our Discord server so you can listen to this show as it goes out. Trust me, you're missing out on a lot of juicy content. So you don't even... It doesn't even make the final show. It's hilarious. Um, like you wouldn't believe. Um, but uh, yeah, without any further ado, let's get into episode 128 and let's talk about the Punta del Este Formula E Prix. Ladies and gentlemen, shall we all stand to attention and rise for the christening of the Great Wall of John Eric Verne? Ladies and gentlemen. Why am I not surprised that King immediately started belting out the French national anthem? Like, that is the least surprising thing on this show. Yeah. <laughs> you keep your Patrice Evras, your Lord Pacellis. <laughs> Uh, because the best French defender is John Eric Verne. Yes, stick Raphael Varane in a dumpster fire. John Eric Verne um, yeah. held off, <laughs> <laughs> held off the most rampant of Lucas Degrassi attacks for pretty much the entire second half of the Grand Prix. Um, it, it was a thriller. Um, <laughs> Like, it didn't quite have that amazing climax, but just the intensity of the whole way through, I thought, was was a great spectacle. Like, Lucas, like, pretty much throwing everything bar the kitchen sink at, at, at John Eric Verne, and Jeff just did not botch. And I think, um, I think part of it was, like, I would say, even before the race, you just knew it was going to be intense. Because Degrassi had his had his pole lap, uh, you know, discounted because he cut a chicane, and he got promoted right. to second. And then you have John Egbert taking the pole, and to have them fighting throughout the entire race. Yeah, I mean, you could, and the thing is, you could tell after the race as well. Like, like Lucas was not exactly over the moon, despite his best result of the season by a country mile. Finally getting some points on the board. Well, actually, he got some points on the board in Mexico, but his first podium of the season. Um, like, it, it was still like kind of awkward between him and Vern at the post-race. I think he, I don't know if anybody saw it on the British coverage, but um, like the, they were in the middle of the Dario Franchitti interviews, who still has the most pristine white shirt in the world. I, like, I find that incredibly like impressive. The man is to... perspiration proof. He needs yes. to get sponsored by Daz. 
He does. Like, the, 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 the whiteness just pops off his shirt. It's like, you, you can tell he avoids all the spaghetti bolognese in, in the pre-race hospitality. Um, it takes, it, that takes some talent. Like, Barrio, call me. I, I want tips, um, basically. But... You could see that, like that, like it was, it was tense between him and Jev in Park Ferme. Like, it was very respectful, very mutual. But you could tell, I think Lucas still wanted to rip Jev's head clean off. Uh, <laughs> because, I don't, I don't like, think I've made it up to that point in the uh, the highlights yet. Yeah, we're doing we're doing a live react to the race highlights. Ooh, that's not good for Blemmy, folks. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, I mean. King, like this was like peak Jeff, wasn't it? Like Jeff, like doing just enough to keep Lucas behind him, like some, oh like I call it the barely legal shit in the first half of this race. Yep, right. Very nearly lost it, swerved, almost hit the wall on the back half of the track as well. I mean, <laughs> like, like this is the sort of race that Jeff is super good at. He is so good at leading from the front, and he is notoriously extremely difficult to pass and if this race wasn't proof of that then i don't know what is because like he has a knack for this king and he, he has a knack of like riding that line of barely legal defense and he's able to get away with it yeah because they, they mentioned again and again his debut performance in formula e which was at punta del este where it seemed like he was going to get his win on debut but due to you know his own mistakes ended up losing that race win he he knows how to lead races. He just knows. He has that ability. He does. He's, he's super good at it. I, I, I still remember that very first race to this day. That was a that was a classic. My gosh. This track just has a knack of producing fantastic Formula E races, and this was no exception. Um, but yeah, oh, Jev. That, was, <laughs> go, a, go that was a good finish. It was a good finish. Golly. <laughs> I, I thought Degrassi was going to run him over like twice or three times even. <laughs> Jev did not give an inch. Um, it, it was it was like watching a Moto Free race with Jack Miller at front. I, I made jokes about it during the races off, but it was very Alonso versus Schumacher at San Marino 2005, where it's just like Michael Schumacher is trying everything <laughs> to get past Fernando, and Fernando just makes his car wide enough every time where he just does not buckle at all. Like. He's trying alternate lines in the final chicane. He's trying like alternate lines through Tosa. He's trying the Aqua Minerale. Just can't find a way through. It was just incredible racing from the pair of them. Just like just just precision from the pair of them. The level of driving skill on display there was was superb. Um, Got to give a shout out to Sam Bird as well. After starting yeah. ninth, he came through to finish in third, just behind them. I loved Sam Bird's <laughs> um, celebration in front of um, Jev and Lucas after the race. Like he was like the icebreaker. He just comes out of the car, goes over to the other two, arm in arm, and says, "Well done, boys. Well done." <laughs> and, and I, you have to admit, the scrap for third was probably almost as good as the scrap for the lead between Sam Bird, Mitch Evans, who finished fourth from starting 16th and unfortunately oh, yeah. the third driver in that scrap daniel apt yeah more on apt in a minute but uh yeah that was a great fight as well um, and alex Lim was heavily involved in that in the first half of the race as well in the fight for a podium spot also, sadly he also, was a little victim of the pit lane go on Zoe. um also in regards to sam um obviously uh, we lost a um, journalist and like biggest motorsport like fan ever Hen- Henry Hope Frost 
during the week. And Sam dedicated his podium to him. A lovely touch. Mm-hmm. Um, from Sam, indeed. Yeah, I mentioned that scrap for third was fun. Like, that might have been the most impressive drive I've seen from Mitch Evans, maybe ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> and pretty that... much after the race, Jaguars have pretty much said, yeah, our sights are set. We want our first race win now. Yeah, like, because if anything, Evans showed his, his pace was as good as anyone's round there that weekend. Like, Jaguar is legit. Like, in, in case good, you didn't y'all. notice it already. They're good, y'all. They are very good. good. They're what third? They're still, they're still third in the uh, manufacturers championship as well. And Mitch came from sixteenth to fourth. And that pass he made on Alex Lynn was outstanding. Um, round the very fast right hander on the back of the circuit, just dove down the inside of Lynn, who somehow didn't lose it on the marbles. But um, incredible performance from Mitch Evans as well. I would he have loved even to have... turn for. 24 for another three months he's still a really good driver he just just being a driver don't don't be such a tit sometimes my dude <laughs> yeah pretty much mitch in a nutshell but god the man can drive um as if we didn't know that already it's a shame we didn't see more of a scrap between him and daniel apt who was also in that mix for the podium but uh he may have had the, well, in the context of motorsport, maybe the strangest DNF we've ever heard. But if you know was, Formula E Season 4, it's kind of relevant um, to one of their biggest storylines going through the season so far. RJ? Uh, yeah. So the retirement was officially listed as a car failure, I believe. Um, mm. But um, as Well, Danny Lapp actually was able to finish, but well behind, in 14th place. That was because his seatbelt was not buckled. Not just, not properly buckled. Not just like, you know, you didn't hear the little click and there's still a little bit of wiggle room. Not like, oh, he had the shoulder straps down underneath his arms or what have you. No, seatbelt wasn't even buckled. Yeah, so basically what had happened was it, they thought it was buckled. Pretty much there's a sensor on the on the safety harness pretty much you need to be given the all clear to go to leave the pit lane they thought they were they were given the all clear they thought everything was fine he drives out and his seatbelt just comes apart i was completely unbuckled in the car says apt which i have no clue how it's even possible this we have to figure out but of course in that situation what do you do you risk your life or you come in for me it's no choice so i came in redid the belts and then we lost too much to gain any points Mm. oh Audi 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 just when you thought you turned the corner a little bit and you could have easily had a double podium for the weekend crap Daniel Apt has a seatbelt failure which I mean what can you say that hasn't already been said about this situation especially given that it ties directly into the minimum pit stop time being scrapped and now a car's had a serious safety related failure in the seatbelt not working and um king we, we joked about this a little bit before we, before we actually started recording but like this isn't going to be the straw to break the camel's back is it like it's no. just ugh. we're already halfway through the season we only need to make it to the end next year there aren't going to be any car swaps so pretty much the series has no real the series has no real reason to scrap the mi- to to bring back the minimum pit stop time. The t- many of the teams and the drivers want it back, but it, for some reason the series 
rather not have it back. Yeah, it's it's to a lesser extent similar to how the FIA World Endurance Championship has decided, oh yeah, you can change tires and refuel at the same time at pit stops, which in some places with large pit spaces, like, yeah, that's fine. But at Le Mans, where the track is so condensed and pit lane is so narrow with how many cars are on it, uh, that's probably not the best idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. Like, it also, I find it like a weird kind of, like, role reversal here where it's like the teams and the drivers all want, like, the safer option. Where the series is like, nope, nope, we're, we're here for the entertainment. Scrap the safety rule. Um, it's it's weird. But um, I'm, it's infuriating because, like, Daniel Apt, again, has, has been great the last season and a half in Formula E. He's... A front runner in this series now, and he's been yanked out of a p- potential podium finishing position because of well. Well, of that. course, back in the glory days, they didn't have any seatbelts. They were real men, and they did. <laughs> they drove without seatbelts like real men, and they were strapped to fuel tanks that were sitting underneath them, and it's easily combusted whenever brushed yeah. against. Not, not like the snowflakes of today. There's no gentleman. There's never been any gentleman in motorsports. But yeah, I think uh, you'll probably hear it later on in the episode in in our conversation with Hazel Southwell, who was you know at in Uruguay for the race. Uh, uh, basically, you know, Daniel Apt and you know Nico Prost are both kind of been they're the number two at their team, but they've been solid number two guys. And when you see Daniel Apt, you know, finally get his first race win twice <laughs> and now you have the seat belt issue it's it's kind of heartbreaking to see something like this happen damn daniel how did you get that terrible run of luck he drives for audi <laughs> this would have never everything. happened under wolfgang Ulrich's leadership like audi made no mistakes where they were endurance racing at formula e it's just like how in the world are they going to screw this up this time because as Hazel would say, you can't run you can't run a Formula E team like a team in any other series. Formula E is a unique beast. It is indeed. So much so, we also get very, shall we say, interesting finds. We're lightening the mood, people. We're going to talk about Lucas Degrassi's crotch. Um, <laughs> this is exactly what you tuned in for in this podcast, oh isn't that right, God. ladies and gentlemen? It, it's it's <laughs> almost like Hazel wrote this like. <laughs> Yes, you're welcome, giving, Hazel. We're giving <laughs> you that spicy race car Banksy content here on Motorsport 101. Yes, King, talk to me about Lucas DeGrassi's pants. Okay, so uh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I, I don't I know how or why, but Lucas DeGrassi was summoned to see the stewards after the race. It was determined after checking his clothes, his helmet, and his Hans device that uh, his flame-resistant pants were not allowed under the International Sporting Code, which is basically the FIA's constitution, because they, yep. they weren't, you know, homologated by the FIA because they were shorts, not pants, like, like <laughs> they, were, they were shorts and not pants in the American sense of pants where they go down to your ankles. Do you know, like, how ridiculous it sounds to say, like, oh, we have to homologate a pair of pants? Like, <laughs> I know, I know it's a lot more deeper than that, but on face value, this sounds completely ridiculous. So basically, <laughs> under his driver's suit, instead of having uh, 
you know, flame-resistant protection down, you know, his entire length of his leg. He only had it to above his knee. Oh, no. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the knees out. That's not, that's, that's not very royal. <laughs> that's, like, if he was in an accident and there was a fire, there would be... Ooh, yeah, there would be a lot of burn. <laughs> Carpet burn. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he ended up being fined 10,000 euros and given three penalty points on his license, but he was allowed to keep his podium finish. The three penalty points is the one that gets me. Like, that's that's like a quarter of a way to a race ban in Formula One, ain't it? Yeah, it is. Yep. Like, you have to work real hard to get three penalty <laughs> points in a Formula One on track. Well, Seb- Sebastian Vettel bumped Felipe Massa off the road a year ago at Silverstone and only got two. <laughs> like, <laughs> perspective here, people. Yeah, <laughs> Lucas apologized for his actions. He said it was a mistake on his part. It should never happen. It was a decision I took today because of the extreme heat. I ran out of underwear and I didn't want to use a wet one, so I just put on a new. I just put a new one on. Oh no! However, this never would have happened if this race would have been driven by autonomous cars. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Lucas. To be fair, in, in, in Lucas's defense, nobody ever wants to pull on a wet pair of underpants. No, like, no, nobody no. wants that. You know, nobody. The nice pair of underwear is the one that's right fresh out of the dryer. It's so warm and satisfying. That's the yes. best feeling. Yes, it is. The, the nut hugger. It's, 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 a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. So, um, bad luck, Lucas. Um, that's a, like, like 10,000 euros for wearing pants. I mean, <laughs> like... I, I, I long for the day that one day my crotch is worth ten grand to protect. Um, I mean, that's that, that that that's a very valuable thing. The other question is: Was there no facilities to like dry them at all? I don't know. I don't that's the know. other thing. It's like the, the, these are important questions. <laughs> no we should have like, asked Hazel this yesterday. Let's pop over to the laundry mat. <laughs> Kick, we should have asked Hazel this yesterday. How yeah, was he not able asked. to dry them? We should we shouldn't have just accepted it at face value. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, we can have all the fancy restaurants in the world. You can, you can you can go to the beach and whatnot, but we haven't got a laundromat. This is first world problems right here. First world problems. So we haven't got a tumble dryer. <laughs> so any closing comments before we throw it over to our conversation with Hazel? Um, cracking race. Another great advert for the series. Is if that is if the series needed any more of them already. Um, the full race is pretty much out on YouTube already, so go find it if you haven't already on that. Yeah, the in YouTube America, that's pretty much the only way you can watch it nowadays because I have no idea what the fuck you uh, Formula E's broadcast schedule is on the Fox Sports family of networks. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, and I still want like, like you know what? How is it that Lucas DeGrassi gets fined ten grand for having like wet pants, and yet Dario Franchitti's shirt is flawless? <laughs> <laughs> This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. None whatsoever. That, so that's that really the new mystery of the universe. <laughs> it really is. Like <laughs> I want to know how many white t shirts he takes to a race. Like five, clearly. Like he he, no. he, he swaps them out with like a practice session. And uh. it's like <laughs> every new session he breaks out a new white shirt and it's just pristine and flawless in in every way. Also, Vernon K is fun. 
I, I actually like him as Channel 5's lead anchor, which is a sh- the problem is Channel 5's coverage continues to be awful. Um, <laughs> it makes ABC look good. That that takes some doing, as you guys <laughs> clearly vented about on, on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, more about that later. Yeah, more on that later. But in the meantime, I'm going to mysteriously vanish for the next few minutes. because. And so am I. <laughs> yeah, and so is RJ. But um, King and Zoe stuck around, and they had the chat with Hazel Southwell. Uh, well, I guess it's more like our like independent formatory correspondent these days in an airport again. It, it's it's become part of our aesthetic at this point. So uh, I'm going to shut up now for the next few minutes and have King and Hazel have a conversation about that race into the last day. Hola, um, <laughs> it's great. It's great to be with you guys from another airport. Yes. Hazel Southwell has returned, and she is in another airport in South America to give us the rundown on what happened this past weekend in Formula E at the Punta del Este E Prix, or as I'm pretty sure Dre would intro this as the Punta del Beste E Prix. Or maybe, uh, oh, I had a really good one for this uh, about pants. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm but, pretty sure we already introed the show with that joke. <laughs> Panted elsewhere or something. Um, uh, it, I, it was one of those brainwaves that came to me on whilst I was walking to the after party, so I was probably now lost to alcohol poisoning. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so what didn't happen in Punta del Este? Um, Punta's a really weird place. Uh, so it's it's a sort of um, cross between Monaco with space uh, and kind of like eco-communism, but ultra-luxury eco-communism. eco-communism. So, uh, so eco-communism tourism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird because it's like there's a Trump Tower being built in Punta, although it looks like it's actually not progressing very much, which there may be lots of reasons for that. Um, Uruguay actually has a very left-wing government, including the Communist Party. Uh, it's a coalition. So, um, Punta has, like, flavours of being a kind of, like, ultra-corrupt, tax-free, rich-person paradise, but it's actually, in no way, is that what it is. Apart from, if you pay, like, obviously going to motorsport, you get kind of, like, cold to seeing, like, adverts all over the place, like, I don't know, visas stuck yeah. on everything because it's like, oh, yeah, visa are sponsoring the toilets or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what, I don't even know what Julius Bard does anymore. <laughs> uh, it's a Swiss private bra- a bank. Uh, so nothing concerning you or I. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, however, thank you for them for generously sponsoring from the Um... But yes, uh, Punta, like every beach uh, where I was staying, there was a beach sponsored by American Express. And like, uh, and it took me a while to work it out. I was just like, why is this massive American Express logo on this hut? And then I realized it was literally sponsored. And everywhere in Punta is sponsored by Visa. So if you pay with a Visa card, you don't pay tax. Whoa! <laughs> right. Which, which means they're basically asking you to buy more drinks. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a it's a really weird place, but it is also like ecologically a very beautiful area. Um, the beaches are very clean. Um, it's stunning as a peninsula, and uh, it's like 
white, uh, well, mixed sand beaches. Some of it's white sand, some of it's much rougher sand. It's really shell beaches. There's huge amounts of wildlife. You can see sea lions all goddamn day everywhere. I'm surprised there was not some kind of sea lion invasion of the track. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of an unearthly place. I can see why everyone talks about it the way that they talk about Punta. Skipped it in season three, back for season four because we couldn't go to Buenos Aires. Um, so a little bit weird. We had Brazilian oh, sponsors. I, th I thought it was. I th yeah, I thought oh, sorry, it was Sao on Paulo. the schedule. Sa yeah, Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo, yeah. Sao Paulo. Um, sorry, yes. Uh, although the Bay Prix may be back on next year. Everyone. <laughs> back with the Bay. <laughs> the Bay um, uh, it, it, it sounds very much like the Bay Prix is, is back in discussion. Uh, with an altered circuit. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, Punta is kind of magical, special, uh, very, I guess, formulary, like, I don't know, we've all got a bit of a, like, on our gap year, surfer finding ourselves element to us, like, oh, you know, refugees from Formula One and was... brands that don't quite know how to get I... their powertrains working, things, you know, it, it, it's, it's all very therapeutic and crashy. Um, so, so I guess yeah, like, it, it, it seems quite like, well. Yeah, it, it seems like every series has their like iconic seaside race. You know, F1 has Monaco, IndyCar has Long Beach, and it really seems like Formula E has Punta del Este. Mm. The the short for that race is gorgeous. Yeah, it it fits Formula E well. It's not the best attended race. Like Mexico was sold out. Rome is sold out. Paris is sold out, but um, yeah, Punta is, it, it fits very well. Punta is also ultra relaxed. It reminds me of Formula E a few seasons ago when there was absolutely no fucker here. And like, yeah. um, uh, I mean, you could just go and stand in the back of the garage with the teams and they'd just be like, yeah, have a set of headphones. No one gives a shit. Um, Cause there were just, there were just so few people. Um, but yeah, obviously, we're kind of bigger deal now, but Punta still feels like a bit of a home race. Um, Punta itself, I mean, I keep worrying, and I know I keep saying this, but I keep thinking that, oh, this race that's coming up now must be a boring pro processional because, like, we keep having bonkers races. We've had too many bonkers races. Um, and, like, it, it, it just keeps delivering so much. Yeah. Like, I always see, like, Punta del Este will never be a bad... Oh I, I will mute my microphone. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, Punta del Este, like, to me, will never be a bad race. Because you have, like, two things that shape up to be, you know, challenges for the drivers. You have the close, tight city walls, plus it's right near a beach. So the track is always going to be sandy. You're always going to be struggling for grip in a place where there's no room for air. That literally making a mistake will probably mean you're going to end up hitting the wall. Yeah. yeah, I was actually quite surprised that the qualifying wasn't more crash-strewn. Because obviously this year, we've had so many crashes in qualifying. I have to say, I was surprised at half the, the penalty, like how many penalties came out at qualifying for this race. Uh, so qualifying was... And the qualifying penalties were interesting because it was actually four disqualifications, uh, one penalty, and the disqualifications were done in a very strange order so that it looked, oh sorry, two penalties, 
but one was rescinded. So Eduardo Mortara was given a penalty for the fact that they had to change the tub of his car, uh, the survival cell. However, it was because they couldn't, uh, because there was no way for them to repair the existing tub, which has to be used at the next race uh, without replacing it. So they couldn't make it safe. Um, the stewards were like, right, fine, for safety reasons, yeah, you have to put a new one in. Um, which was his crash in FP1? What that caused? Uh, no, Shakedown, which was a very weird crash in the first place, because he, like, um, Shakedown is speed and power limited, and he just went over one of the sausage curbs, and I think it was literally he wasn't taking enough speed, and the curb actually, wait for it, uh, penetrated the survival cell. Um, was the official description. Um, uh, and then uh, Luca Filippi got three grid places for supposedly speeding under the red flag. I don't, I think it's marginal. Luca keeps getting some, I, I don't know. I, if he sped, I think a lot of other people did, but anyway. Um, uh, and then um, the four of five people in Superpole were disqualified either from Superpole or from the entirety of qualifying. I still don't know how um, how Eduardo Mortara started as far back as he did, or why. And if you look at the notice board, and you can, like it's publicly available, you can look at these things. For some reason, Nelson Piquet Jr. Is, is was it Nelson Piquet Jr.? Yes. He had some kind of like colossal penalty, but it just said that he had to start behind Alex Lynn, who was in Super Bowl, and he wasn't. So he ended up way further up the grid than a lot of other people, even though he'd taken some colossal penalty for, I can't even remember what at this point. Um, because but, because they had weirdly adjudicated it to the, that he had to be behind a specific yeah, driver. Yeah, because every, everyone else who was fully disqualified was put. It was said that they had to start from the back. Oh, that was it. He mashed his car. Sorry. Yes. So some of them weren't penalties. Heidfeld, Prost, and Pika Junior mashed their cars up. So they actually didn't qualify. Um, so they didn't have a time within the 110 percent to be allowed to qualify. Um, uh, they were given permission to start the race. I was genuinely surprised Prost was given permission to start the race because that car was in pieces, not looking like a car about 35 minutes before it had to be. Um, but uh, they were allowed to start the race. Two of them, Heidfeld and Prost, were told to start from the back, who were then moved forward by other people being forced backwards. <laughs> Whoever's left their suitcase somewhere really needs to stop it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, they were moved forward from starting at the back, um, and he was moved much, much further forward because his permission to start was the permission to start behind Alex Lynn, who was, like, fifth. Yeah. Which <laughs> is yeah. just like, it, that's not permission to stop. Like, I don't understand. Like, he wasn't put into sixth, but he was put much further forward than anyone else. And, like, the entire thing kind of made almost no sense. Um, like, I, I sat there and worked it out. I'm going to do a video where I show it all moving um, with a load of sticky notes. But it, 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 
Formula E's um, grid penalty system is massively more complicated than Formula One's. So, in Formula One, if you take 65 grid place penalties, you start at the back, unless somebody else has taken 70. In Formula E, if you take 65 grid place penalties, God so fucking help you, you're starting next week. Um, because you can take... So if you qualify on pole, if, um, and you have 65 grid place penalties to take, and those are volumes that it is possible you could take, um, supposing you mash your entire powertrain, um, you would be moved back 20 places, so 20 of them would be allowed, and then you would have a further 45 places to take um, each one to five of which I believe incurs a five place grid penalty so or each five you can't take or something so you would then end up with uh, sorry a five second time penalty during a pit stop um, or so you might have to start from the pit lane um, sometimes you're not given permission to start from like if you if you have enormous numbers of penalties to take um, although the Formula E pit lane is so complex and not normally near the star line that that very rarely occurs. Um, but you, yeah, you probably, oh, we should talk about pit stops. Um, yes, yeah, so that, that's going to come up during the race review. We haven't even got to the start of the race yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you'd be looking at a 25 second penalty. Was that what yeah, happened 20... to Blunkwist? Because... He only had like ever so many place penalty. Yeah, he had, like he he mm. was given his penalty. Yes, it is. So Tom Evans. Tom had a ten place grid penalty, um, as did Nico Prost. Neither of them could take the ten places for gearboxes, and so um, both of them had to take additional time penalties. I mean. By that point, it barely mattered for Nico Prost because I'm not sure they knew whether he had a second car to get into, but um, uh, because his, his car was totaled. Um, he really did a Bohemian and Montreal on it. Um, but uh, Blomqvist's car, it was really just the gearbox they needed replacing, so he took a five-second penalty during his pit stop, which used to kind of make sense as a place to take that sort of penalty, but I now think they ought to have to take them at the start because uh, for things that are not incurred in race. So if somebody, say, overtakes under the safety car and is given a five-second penalty, fine, you take it at your pit stop. But um, when it's... Yeah, uh, it kind of makes sense for, uh, instead of, like, to have a pit lane start, but instead of releasing you once the field is clear, they hold you for an additional five seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Which is how it's worked in some places. Um, I think that's what happened to Nico Prost and Mokoyas. Um But yeah, the, the, the system is that you face a time penalty as well as the grid places. Um, so there is no advantage to just saying, like, fine, I'm starting from the back, I'm going to replace my whole fucking powertrain. Twice. Yeah, the, the, the Formula One tactic. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Of... <laughs> uh, no, you, you can't do that because you would start next week. Um, uh, pit stops. We're still doing that. 
It's bad. We're still, well, <laughs> we're still doing that unrestricted. Like, oh, it, it, I, it I, I really bothers no me. I mean, obviously, Punta del Este saw the first time that. So we've seen um, unsafe releases. We have seen uh, mechanics get the foot run over in Mexico um, and various other disasters. And now we finally have a driver whose belts were not done up. They're all using. Yeah, so if, there is no way that you can claim that it's not down to practice because every single team was there really late on Friday. And the whole of Friday, they were just doing practice pit stops. And it's so hard on the mechanics because they push the cars in because you're not allowed to start them. Yeah. Um, and then they do the thing. And like those cars are not a joke to push. Um, but, uh, yeah, the... The drivers are practiced at it. The mechanics are practiced at it. Um, and it's just—it's not safe. Like, no yes. matter how much anyone practices, it's not safe. We've now had somebody yeah. come in because his belts were undone. He was probably due a podium. Daniel had a pretty flawless yeah, for, drive. For, yeah. Yeah, for those who don't know, while he's running third place in the race, Daniel Apt during his car swap, his Seat, his seat belts became unbuckled after he left the pit lane. Mm. Uh, a crucial thing about this is, so we've been told these pit stops are safe, even if they're very rapid, because they can't leave with the belts fucked up, because there's this FIA safety device that has to be um, appeased, basically, before they leave, to say that everything is connected correctly. It was fine. Daniel's belts completely undid, undid themselves. We yeah, don't know like, why, well, but I guess yeah. it's something to do with the speed that the pit stop was done at. Because after really, uh, sorry, Audi, whatever the fuck that team's called these days, um, are really good at the pit stops. Like they, they have got very sharp at it. And Daniel in particular has got extremely good at leap. He's quite small compared to Lucas and he's quite lithe compared to Lucas. And I think he's kind of... Well, I just think Lucas can't be asked to some extent with the racing pit stop. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, it, it is fundamentally incredibly unsafe. Yep. I mean, thankfully, thankfully, Daniel App chose to come in and get his belts redone and didn't try to finish the race without any safety harnesses. Somewhere in a distance, Martin Brundle is yelling about how you're not a true driver and not a you don't need to be a gentleman to race and all that oh is this uh martin brundle having a, a sound off that there's no gentleman in racing no it, it was a complete hypothetical <laughs> oh yeah i mean so so the problem is until the minimum pit stop time is rein is reinstated the teams will race like there is no way that any team or driver won't race a pit stop because and but it it really feels like the series has no incentive to do that because what it's only going to last for the rest of the season then pit stops are effectively no yeah more. but i mean you're talking so if you're say neo who lost um the lead for oliver turvey in the pits that could have been their first win since they were team china like this, you know, the if Andretti 
could hold on to a podium or a really good points position uh, with with a slightly risky fast pit stop they'll do it because the championship is so tight like um, yes. uh, race uh, Punta del Este race winner Jean Eric Vern uh, said like you know Boemi had a lead twice this big and he lost like, there is no point any of us pretending that anything in the championship is decided, other than that Lucas probably isn't going to get it. Uh, famous last words, I'm sure I would, like, manage to come back in Europe yeah. and fuck me up. But, like... Um, yeah, yeah, he's, he's going to come back, he's going to win out, and then everyone else is going to have a really bad day, and he's just going to win the championship, and he's just going to be like, ha, Hazel. Something I want to talk about, actually, is we're talking a lot this year about the fact that Lucas has had shit luck. And it's like just nowhere. He got his first points recently. He got his first podium recently. Whatever. What the fuck has happened to Sebastian Buemi? By this point, last season, Sebastian Buemi had won five out of six races. And not just won them, but he'd taken pole and won. And he'd taken the fastest lap in some of them. Um, he... You know, last season, by this stage, it was a done deal that Boemi had the championship. All of us, or there was a, if you looked at people talking about Formula E, everyone was like, oh, Boemi gets pole boring, um, as though he was cheating. And actually, you know, the, the fact is there were three other guys with the same powertrain on the track and he was taking, um, he was just managing it better. But um, the... I spoke to Boemi, and I know I said this last time, but I spoke to Boemi and I said, you know, you just said you aren't fast enough to contend the championship. What the hell is that about? And, like, he's right, but it's yeah. it's disturbing to see. So Renault have pulled back incredibly this year. Nismo are in the paddock every race, which they should be because they're taking over that entry next year. Um, but... Renault, you know, uh, Jean-Paul Soyo is not there, but that's, um, well, actually, I don't know if this is popularly known, but he's not well. I think I'm allowed to say that, but that's, that's why he's, yeah. he's not there for personal reasons. Um, and, um, Alain Post is not there either. And Alain has been like an integral part of the EDAMS team. Yeah, um, like, if you could you could confuse him for being the team principal if you only watched on television. Oh, completely. I mean, I think most people think he is the team principal. Um, but neither of them, of them is there. Um, Alan has been drawn back uh, to um, Formula One. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a complete brain blip and couldn't remember which language I was speaking. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I said some slightly French things. Um, uh, this is what you get when you write for publications in two languages uh, but yes um, the the Renault team is really stripped down um, they were very fast at testing of course um, but they I mean they just have nothing this year and it's ridiculous because surely if Tachita are able to tool the powertrain up with literally nothing more than Renault have to be as good as it is and they're contending race wins and the factory team are not 
like I mean they've got exactly the same thing in fact Renault have both teams data it just seems like the rigor of a Formula E day is that you have to be able to have the best people on site the best processing the best ability to chuck data around in particular because you get so little gap between sessions getting real tired of Montevideo airport's bullshit <laughs> Um, but yeah, you, the, the time pressure is immense and you, you have to get um, everything so correct and it just seems like Renault have dropped it all. Like Audi have yeah. fucked up because they've got Audi have come in, they've taken over the AB team, they've tried to make it work like an Audi race team, Formula E doesn't work like other race teams, fine. But Renault, there's no question have this licked and, and now they don't. There's been quite a yeah, lot of personnel change in both teams, but like it, what the fuck has so, happened to Sebastian Buemi? So like it's it seems now it's clearly ever evident that not having you know the full broadside of Renault's factory support is hurting them, and they yet can't take access of of Nismo's resources yet, so they're stuck in a place where they're kind of an under-resourced team with a factory sticker on the side of the car. Yeah, I mean... There's also the issue of... Um, Buemi also drives for another Japanese brand, and having worked for a Japanese manufacturer, I know that they, in particular, won't tolerate that. Um, yeah. Nismo will probably is not, not be at all amused, um, even though, obviously, Nissan and, uh, is, is technically a partner brand to Rhino. I suspect they are not going to be... Th th there's going to be a bit of us or them about Toyota. Different championships, but also, I mean, Nismo did have a crack at WEC, and it went very wrong. Um, I suspect, related to their crack at WEC, um, their driver lineup will be. Oh my god, I've forgotten the name of the guy. Um, British. Uh, Jan, Jan. Oh my. Is it. Um, Jan Mardenborough. Yeah, Jan Mardenborough. Yeah. So I, I would be amazed. So he's currently doing quite well in Super Formula. Um, yes, our 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 super GT insider RJ has pretty much pretty much if if there was a driver that that Nismo were to put in for Formula E, it would be Jan in not mm. next season, but a couple of seasons time. I think it will be next season. You I think, think it's going to be next season. I think the promise they'll keep them both is bullshit. <laughs> um, there are no prisoners in Formula E at the moment. I mean, the number of drivers I think aren't going to make the end of the season is is pretty high, um, and like some of the names would surprise you. I'm not entirely convinced Jerome D'Ambrosio is going to going to make it to the end, um, and uh, I think yeah, there's a there's quite a few teams where apparent stalwarts are losing their foothold um, just because there are so, so, so many drivers trying to get into the series at the moment 
and like everyone from people in their 40s to, to teenagers, um, many of whom being big backing. And Formula E prides itself on not having pay drivers, but there's going to get to a point where a team will take it. Um, uh, there's some teams where you have to look at their relative flight for survival next year. Um, if they haven't managed to connect to a manufacturer or if they might lose their manufacturer. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I, I think the idea that both of those are safe beyond their Renault contracts is actually quite laughable. I, I think they'd be an idiot to lose Wyoming. I also think they'd actually be an idiot to lose Nico Prost. Um, yeah, they Prost, work as Prost, a pairing. Despite, yeah, the, Prost, despite what his detractors say, he's an extremely solid, oh. capable capable driver that will pretty much guarantee you a decent haul of points in any race. Yeah. Reliability should like should always be considered when it comes to drivers. Oh, good and fat if they're really fast, but if you've got a guy who's fast, he might get high points, but the rest of the time he's crashing out, then you need the other person to at least be bringing home points every race. Although, yeah. with Bohemi, it kind of it's more solidifying the championship. Yeah, and I mean, those two have a very close relationship. They're very rarely seen in the paddock without each other. Um, Buemi, um when Nico crashed, looked really gobsmacked and horrified because he was. And like, uh, so they have the driver signing after the E race. So he wasn't just there for Nico. He had to be there for something in a few minutes. But he came and uh, stood next to Nico for who'd who was being forced to do the e-race for ritual shame reasons um and like he you know Seb and Nico have a very strong relationship that said I, I'm not entirely convinced that uh well I'm not entirely convinced that Seb has done enough to keep his ride and that's how, that sounds incredible but I I actually don't think that Seb has done enough to keep his ride. Yeah, he's he's I, crashed I, repeatedly. Yeah, um, you know, he crashed he, in this race. I, I think the only way that, like, Sebastian Buemi could, you know, hands down, make sure he keeps the seat next year if, like, he hand delivers his resignation letter to Toyota. Mm -hmm. uh, even then. Uh, Nismo have Japanese drivers they want to bring in. They could always bring back uh, Simona de Silvestro if they wanted. Uh, her and Boimi get on quite well, Please. so they could certainly replace Prost with her. Um, and have a, a weird all-Swiss-Japanese team. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, with maybe Jan Mardenborough as the reserve. But, um, yeah, I I actually don't think anyone's safe. I think Lucas could be fired from Audi. And I, I know that sounds nuts, but I honestly think Lucas could be fired. Um, I think Daniel. I think Daniel has done enough. I think Mitch has done enough at Jaguar. I think um, Nelson has done enough behind the scenes at Jaguar. So he's not particularly showing it on track, but he is definitely helping them as a Formula E team. Um, I think Heidfeld is safe if he wants to continue. Rosenfist is safe. Uh, they know they're a good team pairing, and Mahindra know they are on to something good, even if they've had a couple of fuck-awful races. Which, again, what the fuck has happened to Mah Mahindra from, like, 
heroes taking the lead know. of the championship to like now, you know, South America has just been brutal to them. Um, well, actually, let, let's let's you know go on to what actually happened. During oh, sorry, the race, shit, where, yeah. <laughs> where, where, sorry, where, I haven't uh, really had a conversation with anyone for about four days. <laughs> <laughs> Where where we saw the, the the podium ended up being Jean Eric Verne, uh, Lucas Agrassi, and Sam Bird, which mm-hmm. uh, which is partially unsurprising but still startling nonetheless that uh, Felix Rosenquist finished fifth, somehow Mitch Evans finished fourth. Uh, was was Rosenquist fifth? I thought it was Alex Lynn. No, no, Alex Lynn was sixth. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry. So, uh, it, it seems like it, it seems like this is John Eric Burns' championship to lose at this point, where he has uh, he has a thirty point gap on Felix Rosenquist, and and it I don't know if Felix could make up the difference. Well, it, it does it possibly come to what happened last year is. John Eric Byrne ver- definitely doing every single race. He's not got any clashes. And the same for Felix. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're both completely... They have 100% availability for Formula E. Um, so that that issue won't occur. Um, what we might see, I suspect, is that... Um, so Jeff... And Jeff part owns Tachita. He's not going to miss a race. Um... Something Jeff kept saying, and he seemed actually genuinely sorry about it, um, was he kept saying, like, I think I've been pushing the team too hard, but look, now we have this result. Um, and and he, kept, he sort of kept switching around and talking about how much he changed, how much more focused he was. And, like, it's very true. Um, the interesting thing about this is Lucas Degrassi and... Uh, coming in second here. Jeff had loads of second places last year um, and in the prior seasons until he got that win in Mojave. And um, what's basically happened to the championship is that the top two have been sliced off it. So initially it looked very shaken up. But Sam, Jeff and Felix have always been on the top since they've been in, in it. They, 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 they've always been quite high and last year they were um, three, four and five um, so yeah uh, the, the interesting thing is it's just the championship minus Boimi and Degrassi mm-hmm. I mean Degrassi yeah, made a comeback um, whatever I, I sort of <laughs> I'm quite bored by Degrassi this season he's whining so much like he walked into the hey. the post race <laughs> press conference shouting about being his pole time taken away. He was livid. I didn't want to talk to him all weekend, and, and like he's just really whiny. Like you know, people. Keep... I mean, he is having like the worst title defense in any series or like sport that I can remember. I don't know. I mean, he he was whiny last <laughs> season as well. Like I mean, he al- that is, he that always. Is true. Degrassi is always on the back foot. Like, he doesn't have the fastest car. He doesn't have the reliability. He doesn't have the thing he's doing it in spite of. And it's like... 
I wouldn't actually no I would say this to his face like he it's it's not a flattering look on the way that he both tries to be elder statesman and then turns around and whinges and like I'm not yeah, particularly like if, saying if, that sports people need to be politicians but there is something particularly grating about his current yeah mind. like if he was if he was a pro wrestler he would be the bad guy in the situation he would oh, completely. Be the guy I mean be like, like he's, I, he's I, always been I, a really I, satisfying heel in Formula E yeah like for sure he is his, his role has always been the heel to Boemi's not quite face because like no yeah. like he's not quite lovable enough but like um he 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 kind of makes no bones about being a heel but at the same time it's like he then turns around and wants sympathy and it's just like oh just piss off lucas The other thing with Degrassi is he's kind of getting touted as like this future sort of like motorsport president, like be it he gets hev- more heavily oh involved in Formula E or in the FIA. That's kind oh, of that. That to me is so just I that whole he's the future leader of the sport. Oh. He like I that I'm frustrated. Like I'm like I I. I just want that to just go away because it it seems on face value to be ridiculous. But I think it's gone to his head because he yes, it it's definitely that kind of a I am the future. Like it was kind of like when at first he was like promoting all the stuff from he's like yeah you expect it because he's the the champion. You expect your champion to hype up your series. But he's taking it to a whole nother level. Yeah. And it's like, are are you planning to like dethrone Jean Todd in the next couple of years, mate? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have the the formula of FIA even equivalent of the Red Wedding soon. No, I I think he <laughs> thinks that that time in his life is going to come a lot sooner than what's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. because uh, it's definitely I think it's playing a huge part in his attitude this year yeah that he is the star not a star the star I don't know I mean I would say like Lucas mm, so I think Sebastian is actually a much quieter but much better candidate for FIA president. Um, he uh, at testing, for instance, when the Sam Bird crashed into the chicane, he was straight onto the FIA with a very detailed, very angry, very French, but a very detailed breakdown of what was wrong with the chicanes and what had to be changed and why it was unsafe and why it was absurd, etc. Um, and uh, I I actually think like Sebastian would be a very good advocate um, for drivers within the FIA. I think um, Lucas Degrassi will make a great commercial manager, a great team boss. Um, I think that will probably be where he finds himself. I think he'd be a better team boss than Alan. 
Uh, I know that sounds mean, but Degrassi is <laughs> relentless, uh, which isn't to say McNish isn't. Um, but I think... Uh, I think had Degrassi retired from his championship and become the team boss of Audi, they would probably be in a much better state. Um, like Absolutely. supposing they'd taken on Luke Duval as the second driver or Robin Frins. Um, both, both of whom are factory Audi drivers. So, um, Yes, uh, so in the race, um, it was a, a fairly crashy, smashy, dirty Formula E race. I mean, like the sand flies everywhere, including onto the drivers. Um, it's blisteringly hot in Punta. I, I, I've been to a lot of really hot places, and actually, it was only about twenty-eight, twenty-nine degrees, which is not really that hot. Like maybe edging into the thirties at midday. Um, but like, there's something about the direct sun is incredibly hot in Punta. Like it's, it's like nothing else, and so like, which is why Degrassi had his underwear mishap. Um, speaking of like, which oh, I'm surprised we haven't even talked about. Yeah, that yeah. Yet. So ten thousand pound underwear mishap sounds like the kind of thing I do um, uh, when I'm like on Amazon late at night. Um, uh, but no, uh, he. Um, so since the point that the FIA introduced uh, regulated fireproof suits, regulated fireproof underwear. Um, which is the kind of thermally things they wear under the suit, uh, under the race suit. Um, it has been mandatory to wear those for any single-seater championship, for any um, sports car championship. Like you must wear these. Um, yeah, Luke, in the same way, but yeah, in the same way before than how the the drivers like outer suits, the the proper racing suits had to be FIA, you know homologated yeah they do like they they have to be ticked off and like in the same way that the car does the driver's kit does like you know um and Degrassi was not wearing his race underpants uh because he had sweated too much and he only had wet underpants I don't know why he didn't bring it up um but he didn't have the leggings on so he didn't have the full length ones so if his feet had caught fire for some reason then you know good luck Lucas um <laughs> but uh yeah they they are a safety feature and like fair play to him he was just like i knew i should have worn them i didn't because they were like yeah. they were wet and i didn't um that's bad fair play they have to give him three penalty points on his license um yeah, because it's it's not Formula E regulations. It's in like, it's FIA. The, yeah. The inter- yeah, it's it's in the International Sporting Code, effectively the FIA's constitution that you have to use their mandated safety equipment. But yeah, so just to quickly wrap up, Punter, because um, I have to go and get on a flight in a bit. Um, oh dear. So uh, I've just seen my plane arriving. Hooray! Um, good start. I've also seen like a huge <laughs> bank of clouds arriving at the same time, so I'm like, <laughs> uh, but still. Um, so, how would you guys? They've been asking after the race the drivers to summarise the race in three words. What are your three words to describe the race? Oof. Ooh, I would. 
I want to say typical Punta race. Like it was <laughs> to to me, it was a typical Punta to Punta del Este race, and that, that that's pretty much what I wanted to see. Yeah. Typical overtakings and mechanicals, because there was a couple of chalky mechanical issues. That, that's four words, Zoe. That's four words. Oh. I, I'm gonna go with penalty and... heavy heck. Penalty <laughs> heavy heck. Um, uh, before I go, we should um, talk about. Um, I'm sorry, that was probably wholly incoherent as a formulary roundup. Um, but we should talk about um, this other initiative uh, that we wanted to talk about, um, okay. which is yes. the FIA so, Girls in Karting. Yeah, the, the FIA Girls on Track Karting Challenge, which is a part of the larger FIA uh, European Young Women's Program, mm. where effectively they're having... Uh, I believe eight, like eight weekend karting tester sessions. Like they hope to get at least like 400 girls per weekend in eight different major European series. I mean, eight different major European countries. I, uh, the, but the it's going to be hosting city centers. Uh, let me see. I have the list of the countries, like the the countries that had signed up to be a part of it. It was oh my god, Belgium. Of course, my, of course, the FIA website would just decide to like break down now. <laughs> so okay, it is Finland, Finland, Germany, uh, the Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Slovenia, and Sweden. That's a heckin' northern. Well, those those are the countries that decided to sign up for it, and effectively. Uh, I think Michelle Mouton estimated that they would like hopefully throughout the year that 4,000 girls would, tr would would come and try out and at the end of the at the end of the year they're gonna select the six best candidates and then they'll have a year in an FIA focused program to hopefully get them into single seater racing but to me the most interesting part of that is every girl who signs up has to take a survey and I want to see what the results of that survey yeah. are going to be. Do we have any idea what the survey is yet? Or we... That's some pissing weak uh, source, isn't it? Six out of... Yes, yeah, six out of 4,000. Six the, out of 4,000. There's more than six countries involved. Yes, there's more than six countries involved. You've got a better and, chance and... of representing your country in the fucking 100-meter sprint at the Olympics. And I, it's cheaper. I think... Like, sorry, and I, I just, I think yeah. these schemes are such bullshit. Like, until you do things like, uh, you see, um, God, uh, I've temporarily forgotten the name because I'm, like, edging into, like, travel death. Um, but uh, there is a British F3 team who have uh, Jamie Hadwick, uh, Jamie Chadwick and Amon Hupta um, and uh, yes, Douglas M Motorsport um, have an all-female lineup, and I don't know if it was conscious, but they've gone for two female race winners. Um, and you know, until you see that shit happening regularly, 
no women will not be on an equal footing in motorsport. No, yeah, six like, will not make it, a it's... fucking difference. There are 200, uh, they're like, there were 2,000 boys in getting into decent level karting across Europe. And I mean, even that's an understatement. I mean, there's probably more like 15,000. Six girls? Yeah. Are you fucking I, I, joking? I think it's. I mean, I, I, I know. I know some of the point is just to get people onto the track and believe yeah. that there's a lottery, but this is to say that you have the tiniest X Factor level chance of getting this tiny push. This is saying that you need the FIA to mandate you in. This is not saying uh, sponsors are going to pick you up. So you might get another season in yeah, carts courtesy of the FIA. You can drop like Marta Garcia. She was yeah, Renault back, the, and she's gone. Yeah. That's that's pretty much, well, I say the FIA strategy. That's Michelle Mouton's strategy. She, she has firmly said that the FIA will not fund women to go racing, which is, oh, my God, you're not going to solve anything doing that. Uh, it, like, if you're not going to fund, then you've got to at least give them the know-how or the support in trying to get the funding. Yeah, which I actually think is where Dare to Be Different does work, because actually that that has good advice about how to be sponsored. Um, I mean, so I know lots of little little girls, that's incredibly patronising, but uh, people who I could conceivably be the mother of, teenage girls, um, who uh, did a lot of karting, did well in karting, um, couldn't really get into F4, couldn't really get much further. I mean, it takes phenomenal, bonkers amounts of money. And we've just seen Jamie Caroline, the British F4 cha- uh, champion, nearly not drive again because he just simply couldn't afford an F3 seat. Um, and he's gone to, to a sort of a road to IndyCar program. But, um, yeah, the, the, the amounts of money that you're talking about, even at that very basic level, are astronomical. They make my ballet lessons look like fucking you for a whole year you you could not get an f4 session um and like my parents really struggled with them so like unless you get picked up by a manufacturer unless you get put into a young driver program or you are a good trillionaire you basically can't do it and there's no there's no such thing as a meritocracy here and like so yes this might give an opportunity to six people who would otherwise not get it. Um, but I kind yeah. of think so, it's a colossal like, song and, and dance about nothing. And I think it doesn't yeah. address any of the issues because these are closed sessions, because these are girls competing against girls, because um, these are not... Um, and it's girls competing against girls, which I hate. It's not just like a kind of like... Like, I would prefer, if the FIA want to get more girls involved in motorsport, they pay every fucking decent karting track to have a girls-free day. So they just literally have a day uh, where they say, if you're a girl, you can come in free once a month, something like that. And the FIA just, like, spunk some money on that. But that, Um, that So... The, the issue with that is it would involve the FI spending their own money, which they're yeah, not I mean, going to do. Or, or just... 
some sponsorship program like that because they can mangle things like that. But to me, this this initiative is yeah. almost a test project to prove that girls are slower than boys because girls have less experience in the higher uh, echelons of karting. Girls has less experience. Yeah, but so yes, like they, the, the yeah. girls' champion will come out slower than the boys. No fucking doubt. And it won't be because she is slower. It will be because she yeah. has and less it, it, experience. It seems... To, yeah, but it seems strange to me the the prize the, the six girls they pretty much they they're being funded by the FIA to move to France for a year to be in a training camp like literally they're spending a year to basically hopefully become Michelle Mouton's pet project at the same time as I she mean, says she's not funding need, yes yes uh, what we really need is something like what Jackie Stewart and his son used to do um. They, he had a, a stairwell of talent, as he called it, which Dario, DC, Alan McNish, even like Hello Cash Nevis was involved in, in uh, Jill Fern. And that wasn't just like, he taught them how to deal with sponsorships, how to approach sponsorships. Like but he... the issue was that they were already in single-seater mm-hmm. racing. There, there, there was no having to introduce them to driving, having uh, to introduce them to racing. There was some foundation to build uh, upon. But With this situ- in this situation, we're starting from nothing. Mm-hmm. But it's these six girls that are getting sent to this boot camp, like, don't like give them everything they're going to need for. So then, if only one of them then gets kept by Michelle, then like the others can. St- have a chance of maybe getting... Oh, no, no. None of them are getting kept after the year is over. Oh. The, pretty much, if 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 the FIA can't find sponsorship for them af- after the boot camp is over, it's, you know, game over. Next year we'll have another 4,000. Oh, no, it's, it's I'm a one-time deal. One deal. I'm, like, I'm becoming so, so interested in this. I'm sort of... Oh, so yeah. I'm 31 and a lot now. Um, and like I'm out of shape I in theory know how to drive a car but like if I, I reckon if I found like somebody else here has like a decent working knowledge of motorsport about the same age about the same physical shape um, but uh, a man I would be genuinely interested to see which of us like if we if we like properly went for it over like a three month period made the best improvement in casting or something like just or who could beat who in a sim or something like I I feel like it's tedious now I don't know I mean the fact is and I know I've written like grillions of words about this until race car teams start picking women like it's fucking difficult to get the man out of the seat yeah, I, I think it's I I think we're gonna run into the same issue where like if you're if you're anyway familiar with American history was a big deal in the 1950s, well the late 40s 1950s where baseball had to be integrated and a lot of the white players yeah were and like much that was a, that was a huge their main reason why they why they didn't issue and yeah they didn't. Yeah, they didn't want I to lose know. I their feel like, jobs. Like, it, it's amazing though, like... that we backslid from the 70s to now in terms of the number of women racing in the top flights, um, <laughs> yeah. which is partly just a question of the accessibility of the top flights of motorsport. 
you know, everyone cites that Nicky Lauda quote where he says he went down to the bank and bought his Formula One car. Are you fucking joking? You couldn't go down to the bank and get <laughs> enough money out for a fucking Formula Four car. Um, uh, I mean, you, you have the story from Byron Dreyer as well, where it was basically he basically says if it wasn't for the fact that his wife worked up until like until she was basically mm. due to have their first son, he probably wouldn't yeah. be here. Yeah, but I, I I think the the lasting legacy of the, of the program is not going to be the girls who you know actually you know get selected. It's going to be the results of the sociological survey that they give to every girl who tries out. Whether like they'll there'll be undisputable proof that girls feel intimidated to go racing. I feel that's probably going to be the result. I, I don't know what the results are actually when going I go to be, but pretty much. And like. I, I mean, not being funny, but yeah, I could probably, cause... like, fight every, any of them. Probably fight all of them in a row. Because that, that was pretty much... That that was pretty much the European Union's mandate on this, that there needs to be some scientific aspect of this. And pretty much they said, we want to know why is, the ge- why is the gender inequality so high in motorsport? Hey, one of the things, like, speaking as someone who sort of... is sort of education for STEM and that... I, like going through all that what really doesn't help at times is having like when i was doing electronics was the number of people who would kind of say to you like oh you're mm. going into a man's like like you're going into a man's list, which doesn't help you're you're basically saying like you're already going like you know there's gonna be struggle it's good it's not gonna be as easy because you are in a sort of very niche thing and it's a niche thing that's mostly appealed to guys but at the same time constantly saying to someone like oh it's all it's all this it's all this it's like why are you trying because obviously you're not going to make it because you're not that yeah it's like it's sort of self-defeating if you keep saying to someone you're going into a boys club you're going into a boys club or you're going into it doesn't yeah. help. You you might think you're warning them, but you're actually basically tearing totally. them down. Totally, and way. like I mean, I I talked a bit about this in the last few races, and I think because it's long haul and I'm on my own, and some of the people who I normally know in the paddock aren't here, I felt it particularly acutely. But like, I'm in my thirties. I'm obviously going to races a long way away. I'm not exactly like a shrinking violet. I'm certainly not a teenage autosport journalist. And there's no reason, there's nothing wrong with being a teenage autosport journalist. Um, But like, I am, I'm not that, I'm tough as shit. (laughs) Um, And the ability of a man sidelining me in the paddock to make me feel about one inch tall or like uh, a sponsor basically thought it was a model who was kind of there for their entertainment and I it just made me want to go and put myself in the sea like because that's how women are viewed in the paddock um, because I guess they couldn't see my grimy teeth or like I don't know they just thought models have lower standards or something um 
or like I don't know what it was, but I shouldn't have to like try and make myself look crap to uh, avoid that. And and I thought like you don't even know how old I am. Like I I can take this, but what if I was a seventeen year old, or what if I was a twenty one year old and some sponsor came on to me like this, I would feel compelled because it's a strange structural situation. And that really sucks to be around. Um, and I, I think there's, there's so many things that have to change uh, about I mean, like, just the fact that even in Formula E, people think that any pretty woman in the paddock is an availability for them as a reward. It's just... Blech. Um, and not that I think I'm, like, hot shit. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they thought I must be, like, low-hanging fruit on the model tree or something. Um, but I think that it's great that they've announced this. I, I think actually the offering is incredibly weak. Um, I feel like the offering isn't to take them to Italy for karting, uh, which is where everyone goes for karting, for karting championships, to win championships, to get noticed. Everyone goes to Italy uh, in Europe. And I don't know, I just... I just don't see the, the, the point of it as an initi yeah, initiative. It, it seems very poorly structured. Um, yes, which wouldn't no, be indeed. new for the um, I must go because I have three minutes to go and get on to my plane. Um, but to end on a slightly more positive note, yeah, uh, maybe <laughs> Simona de Silvestro and Nissan Driver will come back to Formula E. Yep. And we'll also have to wait a while to see the results of any possible survey because they'll be published and presented in Brussels near the end of the That's right, the world would have caught fire by then. Really? It's fine. We'll have, we'll have done the Brexit and things. Yeah. Wait, for Matt by that point. Won't be able to <laughs> see Brussels. Uh, no, we'll be at war, war, war with Russia by then. <laughs> ah, we're yeah, never going to go to They're just going to, like, build a wall on top of so um, <laughs> Speaking as somebody who comes from a country that keeps you, going to You've not got America's nukes. Um, yes, anyway. Um, thank you for having me again. And I will speak to you both soon. Good luck. Okay, bye. Bye. I'm so gutted I wasn't there for it. <laughs> oh, no, no, you, you didn't miss you, much. You, 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 <laughs> you, you really aren't. <laughs> You're meant and... to plug it up, fellas. Upsell, upsell. Ah, nah, the, no. that, 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 that just like over the air announcements. Like... <laughs> I, I was, yeah, and it just, it, it just turns out that it was a whole plot of Ready Player One just being delivered <laughs> over an intercom system in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, was um, there was one guy who apparently was like, they called for like three or four times or something to get on yeah. his blooming fight. <laughs> they literally waited for him. But okay, as we close, Sandbird, get on the fucking plane. <laughs> <laughs> like, for for those who wondered, yes, we did not only talk about the EPRI. We also talked about the FIA's newest, well, project, the the FIA Young Women Project, uh, most notable initiative in 
in this project is the Girls on Track Carding Challenge. Yes! Targeted at girls between the ages of 13 and 18, the Girls on Track program aims to promote and develop the presence of young women in motorsport at grassroots levels using the carding slalom, a cost-effective and easy-to-set-up format. The two-year project will start this month as you received funding from the EU's Erasmus Plus Education and Training Program. In its first year, the carding slalom will see stage events in central urban locations across eight European ASM partner countries, Belgium, Finland, Germany, the Netherlands, Poland, Belgium, Pel- Portugal, Slovakia, and Sweden, where the initial page expected to reach more than 3,000 young women. Girls on Track format allows for up to 200 young girls a weekend to try their hand at a carding on a slalom circuit constructed using cones and barriers. Each competition will be overseen by one of the three FIA-designed sport coordinators. WRC co-driver Nicholas Klinger, off-road legend in 2001, Dakar Rally winner Jutta Kleinschmidt, and Tina Leminen, formerly of Finland's AKK Motorsport Organization, whose role it will be to coordinate the events, ensure guidelines are respected, and selections are conducted fairly. Yes. And uh, that's not all, because after the end of the selection process, three girls from each of the events in the participating countries will then go on to a European final at Le Mans in March 2019 for the chance to be among the six girls selected for a European team. The six winners will attend FIA driver camps, will, will be supported by the FIA through a sporting and education program. The program will end with a closing, uh, a closing event in Brussels in autumn of next year, which autumn of next year as in autumn 2019. So they're effectively mm-hmm. going to be spending about six months living in France, training, going to school, basically up. Uh, big boot camp for this for basically an all all girls European karting team yes and the girls on track program not only aims to unearth new female motorsport talent but also hopes to develop a set of recommendations for motorsport stakeholders in particular and sports stakeholders in general including policymakers, government bodies and sport organizations on how to increase the level of participation of young women in sport and how to fight stereotypes in the sport the sociological survey will be conducted by program partner CDS ProSport. I think I got that right. Yeah, and as I said earlier with Hazel, I'm most interested in that survey and the results because they'll be published at the same time at the closing event in Brussels. Yikes. A lot to take in here, but yay. This like, like over, my first question is, that's really cool. Like, the FIA, like, basically creating their own all-girls casting team going all over Europe. That sounds amazing. It like, sounds like the thing we should have had, like, years ago. Even though, uh, earlier, as we discussed with Hazel, it is, out of 3,000 girls, only six are going to be chosen, and it's only going to be for that one-year program. Once, once you know, autumn 2019 hits, it's over. Yeah, that might be an issue. Like, 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 you can't just have like a roll into this cycle. Is why why does why does this have to be a one off thing? Uh, partially because it's not entirely funded by the FIA. It's largely funded by the European Union. Oh, well, that's uh, that's bad news for us Brits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, if I were to hedge a bet on why Britain isn't one of the countries involved, <laughs> hmm. But hmm. blue passports. <laughs> 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 blue passports, <laughs> yo. 
throwing fish in the River Thames. Um, good times. But, um, yeah, like, it's a shame this isn't going to be a rolling cycle. But And I hope the EU... You know what I would like to see? I hope it is such a resounding success that the EU decides to, you know, to fund this more than once over. Yeah. Like, I, I hope that would be the dream. But, um... But this yeah. sounds intensive. It's, I mean, it's a shame it's only six out of three thousand. Um, if I mean they're projecting three thousand, which I don't know seems a little ambitious. But like, again, I, I I hope that holds up. Yeah, um, like assuming like what they say, it's going to be in cities, so it's going to be easy to get to. It's it's not going to be a very long uh, selection process at those events. Like again, a, a carting slalom isn't something that would take you know, days to do. It's over the course of one weekend. Shut it down. Shut the whole city down. <laughs> we got, we got to get some cones out for this casting event. Um, no, quite right, though. Yeah, and they're also using ambassadors to promote the project and hopefully get more people interested. And the three ambassadors that the FIA have chosen are Susie Wolf, Tatiana Calderon, and Tom Kirstensen. That's a nice panel. <laughs> that's a very good panel. Yeah, that's a very it good is. panel. And part of me is glad that they didn't choose to go with only women. And not only the male that they got, uh, not only did they get, you know, some some guy driver, they got probably one of the most legendary drivers of all time. Mm-hmm. Tom motherfucking Christensen. Yes. <laughs> Here for all of that. Um, yeah, great. Great to see a diverse panel from a lot of different walks of motorsport and, of course, of gender as well. Um, yeah, I, I I like a lot of this. Um, again, I, I just hope the projections work out. Um, the range of countries is nice. You know, Belgium, Finland, Germany. You know, it goes on. You know, all it's dotted around Europe. Again, I hope I hope if they can get to their three thousand projection, that'll be fantastic because. Again, I think a lot of this kind of hopes that it, it's on a cycle. Again, I would like to see them do this more than once, rather than just, just be a one-shot deal, because doing this for 3,000 and now in the field down to 6 seems harsh. But um, if they keep it going for more than one year, then, you know, it, it could work long-term. Um, but I, overall, I just, I I just want concept. that survey with a sample size mm. as large as 3,000. Oh, my God. Uh. That would be very interesting. Like that is going to be that could be groundbreaking. That is that could be all sorts of ridiculous. Like I, I hope it's a, it's a well thought out survey, and yeah, just getting the opinions there is going to be very interesting. Um, I, but go, I have go on, to Zach. add one of the other things I like is in the list of countries, they aren't all like the traditional motorsport countries. As what, do you, what do you mean we don't normally talk about Slovakia? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's that kind of a like you you would expect it to be like Britain, France, Germany. You expect well, Germany get, is there. <laughs> Germany is there, but I mean, like I would say of the eight chosen, I'd say five of them are traditional motorsports countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's Poland. Yeah, then there's Poland, Portugal, and Slovakia. Uh, but it's it's good that it was like that these other countries were able to say actually we want to take part. Like they were, they did feel like they couldn't, or they've obviously decided they've got to, they can get enough interest, or yeah. there's a good enough financial gain. 
Yeah, but like that, it also makes me interested in why other countries didn't like why other countries didn't end up being on the list. Like, why mm. wasn't Britain? Because this seems to be something that would probably like if it was held in like you know London, the turnout would be massive. <laughs> it's huge. I suppose then the argument would be there's there to be different which is supposedly help or supposed to be helping whether that's ended up being even though like dare to be different slightly in a different vein while this program Mm -hmm. also is aimed at getting women you know young women interested in motorsport like there's chance for advancement for three of the girls who show up in one of these cities Uh uh-huh but mm-hmm. I, I want to know why France isn't in it. Uh, France, yeah, France isn't in it, but uh, the, the the organization that is doing the psychological surveys is also the academic partner. So, like, uh, the six girls that make the team will be going to school in France during the spring. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, right. that's kind of why I'm wondering why on earth isn't France doing it. Like, it's it seems a bit strange that they again it could very well end up being actually like of the six girls if so they said if it's going to be one girl from each country or is it just the six best overall uh no it's uh it is so again there's going to be the final at Le Mans which is going to be made up of three like there are going to be 24 finalists three from each of the cities and then they narrow down from six from there. So it could very well easily yeah. be half of it is from one city. Yeah, that that is a possibility. That is a possibility if they end up if if they end up being that good. Yeah, it's it's going to be a much longer term project than something else I was thinking about as I was hearing about how this is structured. This reminds me of Nissan GT Academy. Only. Yes. <laughs> Only um, most of the mm. Nissan GT Academy competitors are adults. You could jump right into a race car with this. It's much more of a long-term project. Yeah, it's it's meant to get you know get at least six people definitely in the door and get at least three thousand girls interested. Indeed, indeed. I mean. Again, this still to still take in, but again, again, I, 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 I generally really like this. I mean, King, any other closing comments you want you want to make here? Uh, any closing comments? I'd probably say autumn twenty nineteen is a long ways away, so mm. keep keep this in mind. Like, yes, s- stay like try to stay engaged with this. Try to keep an eye on this. Don't forget about this project. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. Definitely one that's going to get I easily look forward to that survey as well. That is going to be very interesting indeed. Um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how it progresses over the next 18 months or so. Um, one more major story to get through on this episode. And, uh, oh great, it's more good news for the Americans and broadcasters. I'm just going to shut my mouth now for the next half hour, for God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> Gang, <laughs> Oh, play them NBC chimes because IndyCar is has a single broadcast partner, which I don't think any other sport has, except 
maybe the National Hockey League, and it's with the same network, NBC, because uh, the IndyCar Series has announced that starting for the 2019 season, every single race, qualifying, and practice session, including the Indianapolis 500, will be broadcast on, on you know, NBC, the Peacock Network. Yes, this arrangement brings all of IndyCar to one home, increases our exposure, and includes our first two direct-to-consumer offer for our fans, said Mark Miles, CEO of Holman & Company, which owns IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Just please ignore the fact that Champar had a race director on-demand service that was premium and done about 15 years before. This is fine. We couldn't have had, be happier to have start-to-finish coverage of IndyCar season with the NBC Sports Group. Yay. <laughs> Says British guy in the background. <laughs> hey, hey. Well, Dre, it helps you out because you're guaranteed to have, well, one commentary team for the entire year. And not... This is true. And, and not Alan Beswick, Eddie Cheever, and Scott Goodyear. But what do you mean? Like, I, I lived for Eddie Cheever explaining an IndyCar to me like I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a firm believer in talking down to your audience. But, uh, yeah, like, there's no doubt. I mean, as a fan of IndyCar from the UK, just obviously seeing the split has been a part of it since I started watching. And, oh my god, NBC is a bajillion times better than ABC. And so, from that standpoint, I am happy. So, like, I, I cannot complain about this. This is good news. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's like... I mean, how do you guys feel about it? I mean, obviously this is going to be more directly relevant to you guys than it is to me, but, you know. It's bittersweet because ABC has, at the Indianapolis 500, been synonymous since for... Yeah. This will be their 54th consecutive year, their final year of broadcasting the race since 1965. You could go back to the early 60s, the early 70s even, up to the days where Jim McKay and the wide world of sports were presenting the Indianapolis 500. Um later on in the years of like Jim Lampley and Paul Page and then um, as the years go on um, admittedly the, uh, the the level of quality in the coverage um, at ABC has kind of dipped a bit. I don't necessarily blame that on the lead guy. I think he's just been dragged down by his color commentators just a bit just a little bit of a lie. Yeah. And, it, uh, and it, it also doesn't help the fact that pretty much everybody on that announce team got canned last year yeah i kind of says it all really um oh man um <laughs> so what are we getting with nbc sports gold here king as well oh nbc sports gold so nbc sports gold it is nbc sports over the top streaming service over the top so uh, IndyCar won't be developing their own over-the-top service. They'll just be essentially piggybacking off of NBC's service, where any any IndyCar session that won't be broadcast on television will be available on NBC Sports Go on NBC Sports Gold, as well as every Indy Lights race will be broadcast on NBC Sports Gold, as well as I believe the Championship Banquet and Carb Day for the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, that's basically um, created one other problem that this is a lot of the content that has been up through this year 
on the IndyCars live YouTube channel, which is not behind a paywall, where, for instance, for NBC Sports Gold for the Premier League, you can buy a whole season of access for 50 bucks, or a whole track of field calendar for $75. Hmm. Um, so you're going to be looking somewhere in the price range of that for something you'd been getting for free for a couple of years. Hmm. Although, in fairness, uh, IndyCar also does have IndyCar radio. I'm not too terribly bothered. Practice and qualifying is light watching anyway. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of fine. Yeah, I, I wasn't so bummed about practice being, you know, behind a paywall, but qualifying kind of, it was a little That's bit. A yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I, they can find time to put it on, like, the main television networks, I think it'll be okay. It's kind of like when they initially went to Versus, because before then, they did live stream the races on their chat on their website just with the IMS radio um audio. Yeah. And then when they went to Versus they had to get rid of that. And I was very sad. Which by the way, Versus eventually evolved into NBC Sports Network. That original deal was signed back in two thousand and eight and kicked into effect in two thousand and nine. Damn. That's some shit. Yeah, it was a Um, 10-year deal, which a lot of people look back on as one of the worst decisions that the series could have made. This year, it's, uh, I'd say it's kind of aged well. It was a long-term building project, like, um, particularly just for the banter that Townsend Bell and Paul Tracy bring with their contrasting styles of of commentary, I would say. And And pro wrestling in the case of Townsend? Yes, and uh, Lee Diffie is always one of the best commentators, which lead me to believe, like... Always a delight. Um, who is NBC getting to call the Indianapolis 500? Because it should be Lee Diffie, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were just like, nah, we gotta get an American voice to call the greatest spectacle in American racing. Uh, Rick Allen, you're not doing anything until July. Do you want to get in on this? <laughs> uh... I, I don't think that they'll, you know, lean towards the American thing because... For the longest time, uh, you know, the color commentary voice of the Indianapolis 500 was Jackie Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then after him, uh, gosh, um, Sam Posey was essentially American. He was Canadian. Yeah. He was Canadian. <laughs> Close enough. Basically, the British <laughs> Empire has been involved. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> the Commonwealth. Though um, I do have to admit... How, like, Versus came to be was, like, the weirdest thing. Because a lot of people don't realize Versus used to be the Outdoor Life Network. Uh-huh. It used to be, like, like fishing and hunting and stuff. Field and stream television. And then out of nowhere, surprise, we got the NHL for yeah. cheap. And it wasn't... And this was at a time Comcast owned the channel, but they hadn't yet bought NBC yet. That's that's the reason why Versus merged with NBC Sports to become the NBC Sports Network because Comcast decided, yeah, we're going to buy, you know, a major TV network. Hmm. That that is probably the biggest thing that turned uh the 10-year deal with Versus into a success that Comcast decided to buy a major television network. Yeah, it. Uh, trust me, this is not um, this is not Champ Car on Spike TV back in two thousand four. Oh my god! Ooh. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. You know that Spike TV has actually changed its identity again. 
Ready? Yep, it's now the Paramount Network in the United States. Hmm. This is already a channel that has already gone multiple identity crises. Maybe, maybe, maybe they should bring back TNI. <laughs> uh, just a thought. Oh, uh, no, just they're getting that Twitch money. Um, so this deal, you get eight races on network broadcast television free to air, the rest of the schedule on NBC Sports. Put your network executive caps on, and assuming this calendar doesn't change much, uh, maybe you could add Watkins Glen. What are the eight, what are the seven races that are not the Indianapolis 500 that you're putting on network television? And go. Who wants to mm. go first? Because I actually have probably what's most likely going to be it, because I have also, I have NBC's broadcast schedule from last year and any potential conflicts that could come up. Um, oh, great. So we're playing bingo with King here, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bookend the season at St. Pete and Sonoma. Yes, um, uh, the race no, is not always good. It, Sonoma, it, Sonoma wouldn't be possible. It would, oh. it would clash with week two of Sunday Night Football. Oh, oh bollocks. Sunday night. Waiting all day so, on a... Yeah, like, it, pro it probably could have been avoided if Sonoma somehow moved to the East Coast, but the fact that it's in California makes it it's going to be on NBC Sports. Mm -hmm. It's the perfect lead-in for Carrie Underwood's 10-ton shoes. <laughs> I'd put Long Beach. That's a good shout. That's a marquee event for the calendar. Yes, there's not a lot. The duel in Detroit, I would say. Get two races for the price of one over yeah, the weekend. Surprisingly, there is no conflict for the duel in Detroit. Um, hey. Texas. Texas, it's been around. Texas, there's a conflict. There's a big conflict. Oh. Uh, what is uh, the men's final of actually no if it's a night race there's no conflict because it it would be it actually be the quote it'd be the event after the men's final of the French Open on NBC. Uh, oh, who cares? Rafa will just win it. Oh, <laughs> like, we, we, we can put that to one side. Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, uh, yeah. Wow. No, I was wrong. It does not clash with the French Open. It clashes with the last leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes. But again, oh, it would shit. be uh, it, the Belmont Stakes would be a lead-in to that race, so you'd have a huge audience. Um, Gateway Motorsports Park. Yeah, that is available. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Plus, it's in a it's in a major metro area. Last oval race of the calendar. It, I'm guessing the entire time. month of May is a shooting to you, probably including Indy's Grand Prix as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, so basically from May through the duels in Detroit, that will most likely be on NBC. Yeah, so okay. that's, that's four what of about your Iowa? eight. Iowa, like I need to double check Iowa because that clashes. I don't think it would, no, it wouldn't clash with any stage of the Tour de France, so you'd be good. Okay, that works. In Pocono. That's what you probably want to have. If yeah, you could, if I, you could get no, it. Pocono's in August, you're good. Like, That's the thing with NBC Sports. August is like an empty hellscape where nothing happens. Yeah, especially now more days with Formula One summer break. Yeah, so with the summer break, like they always have... Saturday mornings are always stacked on NBC Sports. Saturday mornings in August is Premier League football. Whoops. 
<laughs> but yeah, like it was, again, it was so stacked with Premier League football that we couldn't even squeeze F one on some days. Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's not an issue with IndyCar because they don't race at like nine in the morning. <laughs> I feel I feel very good about this deal. Yes. I think a lot of people feel very good about this deal because it puts the best network front and center all the time. Um, the series is on an upward trajectory. And hey, now they can sort out that other thing they have to sort out, which is the fact that they need a two-title sponsor because Verizon's leaving at the end of this year. Yeah, I think this helps them big time, that that they have this stability, that they know that they're going to be on this network this many times a year. We could sell this to a whole different bunch of companies. Well, what about WeatherTech? I mean, they just, uh, they're getting rid of the Emsa name rights, and they just bought out the name rights for Laguna Seca about yesterday. I don't know. Like, I don't think WeatherTech is a big of a brand as, as yeah. you know, Verizon. Even though I don't think Verizon, I don't think IndyCar is going to have the same negotiator in their corner that they were able to somehow pull in Verizon with. No, we're not going to get any more plugs about the nation's fastest 4G LTE network after every round of the championship. Because I don't... Cha-ching! Like, I don't know how he's able to do it. I don't know how Zach Brown was able to convince Verizon to sign on as title sponsor for IndyCar. Uncle Zach has his ways. <laughs> I mean, that's true. But, um, gosh, that, yeah, that is a lot to break down, but uh, that just about does it. Also, you have to mention a little bit about this. Fernando Alonso now wants to drive everything, apparently. Yeah, he wants, he's driving an LMP1. He wanted to drive an Australian supercar, but they couldn't get him a test because the car had run out of fuel. I'm fine with this. <laughs> Why are you so fine with this? You're no, the Alonso stand here. He even tested a GT500 car a couple of years back at the Honda Festival. Like, mm. Mm. Do you have a car? Fernando Alonso wants to drive it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Giggity. Um, um, can, we, can we also just shout out uh, Marco Andretti's throwback livery? Uh, this year's the 25th anniversary of Mario Andretti's last win. So Marco Andretti is getting a throwback paint job of Marco Mario's. Uh, <laughs> Marco is getting a throwback livery of Mario's car, uh, the Texaco Kmart car, which is now the Oberto Beef Jerky and Circle oh, K yes. convenience stores car, which I found clever. Hey, you got Circle K to replace that bankrupt store. Mm, Needs I mean, more Snapple. We, we get we get enough Snapple, Dre. We get enough Snapple. You shut your mouth! We don't get enough. I already drank my bottle machine. before it. He dreams of the vending machine. I, I, I do dream of the vending machine. Like, like Marco, listen. Like, long-time supporter here. Um, <laughs> Zoe back in the simbin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, which... There is an outside chance. If there is any way you can hook a brother up with a Snapple vending machine, I will clear out my bed and sleep on top of the machine if it comes down to making this that happen. That vending okay? machine is getting front and center space when we get our own TV radio simulcast show when we eventually yes. have enough money for this. Patreon, you know what to do. Um, 
I'm building a Snapple machine in the backyard. <laughs> $250 a month buys us a Snapple machine. And it also you know you want to make that happen. <laughs> you know you want to make that happen, people. You like, you, you, you know you want to make that happen. Let, let, let's let's make this be a thing. Uh, and on that note, I think it's just about time we get out of dodge on this one. Uh, one more time, basically, you can find this. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, our personal handles at Harrison1HD, at Ryan Eric King, at WeZoe, and at RJ O'Connell. Um, we are on Motorsport101.net is our website. Check out the blogs on there coming up soon. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Don't forget, early access to Bike Live later this week as well. We're actually recording that. Well, today's the 21st. We're recording that tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, huge Qatar review as Andrea Davizioso finally wins in Qatar. Um, and all three races with a combined winning distance of a tenth and a half. It safe to say it was a pretty good weekend. Plus the most uh, in-depth discussion of British Superbike title sponsor announcements you're going to find <laughs> on any corner of the internet. Guaranteed. Yep, like start break, start breaking out your monkeys and start spanking it in front of everybody. We'll, we'll have a 2018 British Superbike season preview as well. Um, so check that out if you haven't already later this week. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Zoe Hamilton, Ryan King, and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Swear, if if by the time this show comes out, F1 TV isn't out, I'm going to riot. Yeah, they're already. It's already on track that it's not going to be ready for the time the season starts. Oh my god! Ha! <laughs> I gotta <laughs> watch ESPN like a pleb. <laughs> you get to watch ESPN Shame. three. Good, good. Which means Shame all of your you. advertisement space are going to be filled up by the same two ESPN NBA bumpers back to back to back to back. <laughs>